Welcome to Freightonomics. We're back. We're back. We took a little bit of a hiatus last week. You probably didn't miss us. I'm assuming they played rerun. They did stuff. There, I mean, it was what global supply chain week was at one point in time. Yeah. Then there was something. To there do. was other things that were happening. So they, they were fine. They were fine. They were fine. I took a little trip. You took a little trip. All, all is well. All is well. Glad you are joining us here today. I'm Zach Strickland, head of market intelligence here at Freightways, joined with Anthony Smith chief economist here and we've got a treat today for those of you that are fans of the show and have watched us for a long time we've got the return of the other zach dr zach rogers colorado state university phd or is he a phd associate professor i, I they're PhD. all the same we call to me. him a doctor i'm gonna call him a doctor you're just a genius he'll correct us in a minute uh, <laughs> as we bring him on and discuss the latest supply chain environment and i'm assuming the lmi the logistics managers index which has had several interesting months in a row from my perspective. Uh, we'll break that down for you. But first, I want to get into this. Do you want to greet the, the audience first, Anthony? Oh, yeah. So I'll be looking down from time to time. And when I am, I'm going to be looking at LinkedIn. So if you want to join in on the conversation, if you have a question for myself, for Zach Strickland here, for Dr. Zach Rogers, jump in and really be able to, uh, you know, contribute to the conversation. And um, yeah. I already see some activity there, so thanks for joining in. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about the banking situation because yeah. we have to. <laughs> uh, also, fun fact about Zach, I, for my first job out of college in banking. So I'm a finance major, uh, <laughs> and so I do know, I'm not going to call myself a banking expert by any means, but I do know the are. fundamentals of banking, and I, I do have some insight there that maybe, you know, it's kind of like that 101, how banks work type stuff. Uh, and what happened here with SVB and Signature uh, Bank. But first, let's give the market in two. Yeah, market I'm, gonna, in two. I'm a little rusty. It's been a... No, I, you got this. And let's kick it off in three, two, one, go. All right. First up here we have, what have, what have I been telling you? OTVI, OTVI, OTVI. Uh, the outbound tender volume index, our measure of demand, it is the one indicator that is going to move quickly or has the potential to move quickly if it's going to. Uh, but we have some good news uh, this month in the way that if you see that little line that I have drawn there, that is approximately a 3 to 4% increase on the OTVI off of February levels. We did not know if this was going to occur. This breaks about a seven, six, seven-month cycle of downward trend movement, removing some of that holiday uh, traffic noise around Thanksgiving, but it's overriding trend outside of the holidays has been downward. This changes. March seasonality returns. It's not enough to make an impact onto the spot market or the rates and anything like that. Like I said, there's a lot of capacity available there, but demand has returned in some form or fashion on a seasonal basis. That is, that is a positive sign. Next chart here, our outbound tender rejection index and this is what I'm talking about. You, it's on the floor. It's, 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 our, it's the least interesting, but it's going to become the most interesting data point here later in the year, I think, as capacity continues to correct. We're going to see this thing kind of pulse up higher and higher throughout the year, more than likely. Uh, tender rejection rates under 4%. Nothing to see here. Next chart. <laughs> Uh, NTIL, so spot rates excluding the total cost of fuel uh, on average, still downward pressure on this thing. Like I said, even with that 3% increase in demand, we're not seeing any of this bleed into the spot market. The spot market is on life support at this point. Uh, last 
chart here I want to pull up is our contract rates versus the spot rates, excluding uh, fuel above $1.20 a gallon. Big spread here. Spot rates continue to go down. Contract rates continue to go down. <laughs> There's a lot of room for, both, for the contract rates to still fall, and we are continuing to see that. Like you never left. I mean, I, like you I, I don't know. Left. I don't know. I was on a mountain in, in, in Utah and a lot of snow there. Mm. Uh, I was worried about the people going across I-80. Uh, but no, no disruptions to traffic, surprisingly. It's, yeah. it's amazing what the DOTs can really do when they put their mind to it. It really is. And definitely a lot of interesting trends going on um, on a lot of that data sets. Really, one of the big things that we've been talking about is the bottom, finding the bottom, mm -hmm. how to be successful at the bottom, and what to do now. And so... How close are we, do you think, are we to that bottom, or is it in sight? Do you think we'll see a little bit more moderation? What's going on there? we got a long way to go. Uh, I, I don't know about bottom for rates in, in general. Like, when we're talking about spot rates, we're roughly excluding fuel compared to March of 2020, which has got that toilet paper run in there, so the spot rates did jump up there. We're only 1% above that level right now, um, which means that more than likely carriers are there's a lot of sub-optimal pricing out there for carriers. They're losing money on a lot of loads, especially on the spot market. Contract, yeah. still got some room to fall, like I mentioned. So I, I don't think we're going to see either of those things turn in the next month for sure. I think contract has got several months ahead of it. The spot market probably has at least another month. May is traditionally where we start to see things turn seasonally. Mm -hmm. And that might be the theoretic, because there's arguably not that much further it can fall without people just saying, I'm not able to actually cover this. Right, right. And, and I mean, so switching over, because we have a lot to get into, because we have Dr. Zach Rogers on a little bit later on, we got to talk about SVB and what happened there. So, yeah. of course, we saw the failure, the bank run, and then, um, you know, assets not really being able to be sold at what they were originally supposed to be sold at. Definitely with some help of the interest rate increases. And then we see the pseudo bailout um, kind of, in, you know, put in place. So a lot of stuff happened over the last um, weekend here. Yeah. So how banks work <laughs> is you have uh, normally banks, they rely on people like you and me to put money in the bank and hold it there for our checking savings account. Hundreds, thousands of us all together have these huge deposits. And these companies, of course, have their payrolls in there and things like that. Uh, they have deposits too, but that cash flow is very inconsistent with the bigger ones. They rely on retail banking for covering basically that day-to-day -day OPEX, um, that operational activity. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank, SVB, very commercial lending business oriented. And it's also heavily leaning on that tech sector. So the side of that type of banking that isn't really beefed up is the you and me part of that, right. where the retail banking isn't as strong. Uh, and that kind of pushes them into a different way of managing the, their deposits. They put it in, they're very bond heavy. Uh, and this is where you're talking about when you're talking about kind of being over leveraged a little bit. Uh, bonds are not bad, they're fixed income, uh, but when interest rates increase, their prices decrease. <laughs> right. Their value goes down on the market, which is okay. They're set up for this, except for the fact if they have to sell them before they're ready. And that's what SBB had to do. So they had to sell a bunch of these bonds below what they paid for them. Right. Losing a ton of money all at once because their client base 
heavy tech sector, Silicon Valley Bank, for those of you that don't know, very technology oriented. Uh, these businesses burn cash, a lot of VC money in there, and their job is to grow fast. They mm. have to grow fast. That's what tech does. It has to grow fast or it doesn't make it. So they burn through cash a lot. And as the tech sector has been hit a little bit harder in the early part of this economic situation, they burn through some cash, forcing SVB to sell off some of their bonds at a loss to cover the deposit requirements. And then once that didn't work out as well as they thought, they called for money. <laughs> and that panicked their customer base, which 90% of their customer base, or of the money, of the deposits, is uninsured by the FDIC because it's over the $250,000 limit. So once the panic happened, that was the end of it. Right. They probably could have made it through, except $42 billion was gone almost immediately as everybody realized, oh no, this bank is in trouble. I gotta get my money out. Right. And that's the end of it. And, and so we see now um, FDIC stepping in, um, everyone's gonna be made whole. So, um, but, but really, I mean, the Fed can come in and essentially kind of create the funds, but then of course there are still some assets that can be sold that mm -hmm. can kind of cover some of these expenses overall. Um, it, it kind of, you know, is an isolated event in a regional area for a niche segment, but it definitely has ripple effects when you look at, you know, what can happen after, okay, if this does fail, okay, these companies do go down. Now, they're still not just, you know, some of those large companies, mm -hmm. and there's also some smaller companies that also all, get impacted. All by banks well. have interest rate risk. Right. And what has happened with the federal rate increases, not that rate increases are necessarily bad or something they don't see, the speed with which these rate increases occurred, paired with some economic uncertainty and instability, is what created this one. Mm -hmm. I think I read somewhere that SVB had about 53% of their assets tied up in these bonds, these treasury bills. Um, that's almost double the industry average. Right. So they were more exposed than average. So don't go to the bank and start pulling your money out. That's actually what, <laughs> that'll make it worse. Yeah. Uh, this one was was different. Right, right. And, and, and like I said, those ripple effects would have been felt, mm -hmm. you know, of not just the tech sector, but, you know, if people now, you know, on the outskirts of that, then those people looking for jobs. So definitely great that we see um, folks be made whole and yep. that um, people are able to secure their jobs. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely a scary situation for a lot of individuals. Yeah, it's a slippery slope. Uh, you know, this is going to make getting money a little bit more challenging. And right. this, 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 you know, getting money right now is, is going to, I mean, interest rate increases, it gets harder to get money. Right. <laughs> uh, and, that's, and that's the bottom line. So that, that's something to watch out for. And, and it's interesting because we just got back um, not too long ago from hearing um, last week, I think it was the testimony from Jay Powell and really a very hawkish outlook on really the fight towards ending inflation. And so this really kind of is going to be uh, really interesting to see what his statement's gonna be, or what the FOMC stance is gonna be in the coming week, especially now that we see um, CPI starting to moderate the PPI coming down just slightly. So are they gonna go off of the previous event and one month of easing for the PPI and, and moderation for the CPI overall? and just say, hey, all right, we're gonna take the, our, 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 a step back, 
Are they going to pause? Are they going to fully pivot? And if they do pivot, if they do pause, is it going to be too soon? If they continue to raise, is it going to be too much? So there's a lot of, uh, I think, you know, implications that are going to be happening in the next statement and decision. And I'm glad I'm not the one that has to make it. No, I know you're not. <laughs> uh, that's a tough job to be in. But, you yeah. know, I am interested in somebody's opinion on this matter and various other matters. Let's bring on the man with a plan, Dr. Zach Rogers. It's been a long time. Thank you for coming out, sir. Hey guys, thanks for thanks for having me. Also, am I to understand we're being directed by Isaiah right now? Is that what's going on? Isaiah knows all. He's all seeing. What, what a come up for our guy. Look at <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so proud. Anyway, good to see you guys. Yeah, great to see you as well. So, I, I mean, first off, I, I'm sure you heard us kind of going back and forth about the bank situation. Do you do you see any of this manifesting in any way? I mean, it's obviously too soon to really see it. Uh, significantly, but do you see this maybe in the future kind of showing up in some of the data that you guys look at for the LMI? You know, I think that this was such a tech-centric event. Like if you look at job numbers right now, so we added 311,000 jobs in February, and yet like Facebook is still laying off 10,000 people. Right. Tech got so out ahead of their skis during the recession, and really so much of it is built on this idea, like you were saying uh, a minute ago, of free money and there's no interest rate and VCs just falling out of the sky and suddenly interest exists. Things are pulling back a little bit. And I, I think this is really a correction specific to uh, the tech sector. And, and, you know, we kind of have this established precedent from uh, 2008 and 2009. None of the really big guys uh, uh, are, are going to fall. Now I do think one of the things that was interesting about the SVB is that it was very much reflected that the rules we're using are from 2008. You know, in 2008, if you wanted to do a bunch of money moving out of a bank, you had to set up a wire transfer. It was a slower process. It was a little more involved. One of the really interesting things about, about the SVB was that it happened in like, what, an hour? I mean, basically, everyone was like, you know, talking to each other on their phones and, and you can just use mobile transactions and pull everything out. And I think it'll be interesting. You know, it's good to see that, you know, the banking system won't fail. That's good. Uh, I, I hated when that happened last time. Um, but but it's it's good to see, uh, or I think it'll be interesting to see if the rules are updated to account for the speed with which a bank run can happen now. You know, this isn't 1929 when people are standing in lines outside of the bank to go in and withdraw money. Now everybody pulls out their phone and it's done in a second. So I think that, that it, the nice thing about this being such an isolated incident is that it almost provides a dress rehearsal for what would happen if there were to be, and I don't think there will be anytime soon, but if there were to be a real bank run at one of the really large banks sometime in the future, because the speed that this happens is just kind of frightening. Definitely something that um, was, uh, I think, uh, an eventful uh, situation over the weekend. Got to see that it was for sure um, rectified for now. And as you mentioned, something that potentially would be a dress rehearsal for um, a bigger situation. Um, and of course, one of the big things that we love to hear from you as well about is around the LMI. And there were some interesting changes, especially around warehousing capacity. Um, I saw a yes. double digit shift there. Can you tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah, no, it's why I keep everything in gold bars under the bed. Um, but so uh, warehousing capacity went up exactly like you're saying, 10.2 points uh, in, in the February report. Here's why this is important. So remember, anything below 50 means contraction. Warehousing capacity, 
And this is available capacity, not how many warehouses do we have, because we've been adding hundreds of millions of square feet uh, every year. But available warehousing capacity had been contracting every month since August of 2020. So we had a full two and a half years of contraction for a warehousing capacity metric and something like 30 of 31 months of contraction. It had been contracting for a very long time. In February of 2023, that went up to uh, from a 46 where it had been to a 56, which is a really high rate of, of expansion for warehousing. And it's interesting because this was really driven uh, both both upstream and downstream. You know, in the past, we've seen a real bifurcation of, well, yeah, you know, maybe B2B is slowing down, but, uh, but uh, you know, the consumer market is picking up. That's not how it was this time. We see excess capacity coming online, both upstream and downstream. Now, I would point out that this is the first uh, sort of move into expansion in two and a half years. And so all this really is, is a little bit of relief um, from the pressure. This doesn't mean that the, the warehousing market's going to plummet into recession or that we're overbuilt or anything like that. Really what it shows is that we're starting to even out and actually is what this is doing is opening up opportunities for the smaller players that have been squeezed out by the Amazons or Walmarts of the world who could come in, you know, all cash and buy up the big urban spaces that everybody was looking for, for infill, for last minute delivery or whatever. So I see this more as a correction and moving back to normal, which is a lot of what we're seeing actually in, in the LMI right now is we're moving away from the either the super high or the super low extremes and coming back to relative normality um, unless it's transportation price. But for everything else, it's, it's going back to relative normality. Now, I got to ask you, uh, the one that I've been hung up on, the inventory levels. The inventory level number mm -hmm. stayed about the same in February that it was yes. in January, which was still an expansion territory, correct? How is mm -hmm. this? Yeah. How should we view this in relation to that warehousing capacity number making such a big reversal? Like, is this does this mean that sure. shippers have finally kind of peaked out on their inventory? Their demand forecasts are now starting to get more in alignment. Yes. So what you're seeing, especially at the at the retail level, and so then it would impact wholesalers as well, is we're seeing regular levels of inventory churn now. So inventory is coming in, but then it's moving out. Uh, and so that is, right now, I think the number was 62 for inventory levels, which is a significant level of growth. But 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 within the normal bounds, you know, the average for that metric is is actually a little bit higher. I think 64. So for it to be 62, essentially, that means is that that's kind of replacement level uh, inventory. And, and if you compare it to where we were a year ago, so February of of 2022 is where our inventory levels peaked, our all time high number, which was like 80.1. And so we're a full 18 points down from that. And, and it's interesting because we've gone through like a whole life cycle with inventory over the last 12 months. We were at 80. We got all the way down into the 50s uh, over the holiday season. And now we see inventory starting to build back up again. And really what this is, is a sign that Amazon, Target, the big retailers who had these huge bubbles of inventory all through last year that were really causing congestion and I think actually leading to a lot of inflation because the cost of, uh, of supply chains was so high uh, are now gone. And now we're back into the normal cycle of rebuilding inventories that we expect to see in February and March. And so, again, I think what we're seeing is a return to normal uh, a little bit.
And Zach, when we're looking at, of course, that double-digit gain for warehouse capacity, um, that doesn't really kind of put an end just yet because it's just one month of movements mm -hmm. right now. But how long will we have to kind of see this um, shift here for we really start to see, you know, inventory costs come down from that 70 plus point uh, reading? Right. Well, one of the things with warehousing is it's the opposite of of the OTVI stuff you guys were showing uh, at the beginning where, you know, transportation changes every day. It's like a, a dog chasing a squirrel. It's just, oh, OK, now I'll do this. Now this. It goes all over the place. Warehousing are long-term leases, long-term contracts. And so, you know, the, the spot market for warehousing might start to go down a little bit, but not a ton of warehousing is, is moved on spot, especially given the capacity we're at right now. So you see a lot of these long-term contracts that may take time uh, uh, to come down. One of the other things I would point out is that pre-March of 2020, we regularly saw warehousing increase. Uh, our average from sort of before March of 2020 was 57, 58. So we are kind of getting back to what we were uh, pre-pandemic because you always want to be adding space and adding capacity. You know, e-commerce was 10% of, of all retail pre-pandemic. Now it's 15%. So it's you know gone up by by. 50% essentially. And that's only going to keep going up. And so you need more and more warehousing space, um, especially with some companies still a little nervous about going full JIT with everything because of how burned they were in 2021. And so I think it'll be a while before we really see uh, the cost of holding inventory coming down um, for some for some sectors, especially like, you know, uh, commodities or furniture where things aren't moving right now. But it won't be as quick as a, a of a correction as we saw in transportation because transportation can change so much uh, faster and the contracts tend not to be uh, as I mean there's still long term contracts of course but it's a warehousing is a more contract heavy market right multi year versus that single year that twelve month cycle in transportation yeah. for yeah. sure so. Uh, one of my favorite things that you do at the LMI is you kind of separate the upstream and downstream processes. Are we seeing anything change there? Is the upstream slowing down versus the downstream? The downstream has been kind of like hibernating through the winter a little yeah. bit. And now the upstream, mm -hmm. I wonder if, is that churning at all? Yes. Yeah, we're seeing differences. We actually had uh, significant uh, uh, differences between upstream and downstream for warehousing price, transportation capacity, transportation utilization and transportation price. So in almost every case, our numbers were higher downstream. Um, and, and really what we're seeing is very similar to what we saw in 2019. Uh, I, I think this is almost a, a, a repeat of what we saw then. Remember 2018, build up a lot of capacity. Everything's great. Things slow down end of 2018 and, and into 2019. And what we really saw in 2019 was down downstream stayed relatively healthy, whereas the upstream slowed down. And if you look right now at the numbers for manufacturing, for wholesaling, and compare those to retail, that is borne out. We are still seeing spending uh, at the consumer level. Uh, now more of it's towards grocery and everything because eggs are up like 50% every month. But you know, other than that, we're still seeing spending downstream. And so if you look forward to like our future upstream and downstream predictions, I thought it was really interesting this month. The, um, the downstream prediction for transportation prices over the next 12 months, so going forward for the next year, was 61.5. That is a healthy 
regular level of growth for transportation prices and reflects the fact that they anticipate business picking back up and there not being this huge glut of, of capacity. Compare that to upstream, so manufacturers, wholesalers, and the number they came back with was 44.4. Okay, so 44 to a 61. That's a huge, huge spread. That's 17 points. And so we're really seeing, uh, I think, something very similar to 2019 where the consumer economy is going to remain hot and keep the overall economy out of recession. Remember in 2019, we had a freight recession, but we didn't have an overall recession. And that, to me, as I dig into the numbers, seems like where we're going based on predictions for future transportation prices. Definitely going to be an interesting one to watch. Um, for people that want to get more of the LMI, maybe they even want to join in on the survey. Dr. Zach Rogers, <laughs> how can I do that? Uh, it is doctor, by the way. I, I heard some debate about that. Earlier, so <laughs> uh, it's, it's the T-H-E-L-M-I. Um, dot, uh, dot com. And uh, the survey goes up uh, the first Tuesday of, of every month. March and February were my favorite kind of months where the first was on a Wednesday. And so we had six days to write it after collecting <laughs> the data. Uh, April, I think it'll be the fourth. Uh, so it comes out the first Tuesday of every month. Uh, and if you'd like to, to be part of the survey or, or get on the mailing list, uh, feel free to, uh, to send me a note. We have the last year of reports are up on the website. Uh, that so so you can look anyone can access those for free. Uh, thank you so much for that. I was just out in your neck of the woods. I was in Utah. I went in Colorado. Uh, right. But you're having some weather out there. You going to jump up on a mountain soon, or have you? Uh, yeah, actually, I, I'm I'm going to be in Estes Park on on Saturday. So you know, if you're up there, say hi. Uh, I'll be happy to stop, <laughs> leave my family alone, and talk to you about inventory utilization. <laughs> awesome stuff. Great snow out there right now too. Thank you so much. Dr. Z, uh, hopefully, you know, we'll get some more conversations in the future with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, long overdue. Glad he's back. Okay. And great to all have you here. 